0: Hey there adventurer, I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise! We changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. Again, the question, how do you lead people? Well, that's what exactly we are talking about today with my guest, David Fivecoat. Uh, he has been an infantry officer for 24 years in the military, also graduated from West Point and Ranger School, and then went back to Ranger School to lead it during the transition uh, and, and gender integration of women being in the Ranger School. Uh, he also leads a consulting company that specializes in improving leadership. I'm excited to give you my conversation today on the Hard Thing podcast, where We do hard things and we overcome average. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the Hard Thing Podcast, David. I'm excited to have you here and have this conversation.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about being on it too. You guys got, you got a great podcast.
0: Thanks. Um, Well, let's hop in. Like I said, with the question that I ask every single guest, hopefully you're ready. Uh, David, what's the hardest thing you've ever done?
1: Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of hard things uh, from uh, graduating from West Point, which was a, a four year experience, but not your normal college experience, to graduating Ranger School to four combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, but um, to standing up my own company here in the pandemic. Uh, but really, the, frankly, the hardest thing I've done is, is be a dad. And uh, I have a 12 year old uh, daughter, it's still a work in progress. Uh, every day, uh, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm bringing my A game uh, and, and being the best dad that I, I, I can be and helping to, to try to raise her right.
0: That's awesome. I, I'm not a dad yet myself. I'm married, but uh, it is something that I definitely look forward to. And whenever a guest brings up being a father or a mother, I definitely love digging into that. So you can bet we will dig into that in a little bit, but kind of going in in the order of the things you brought up, you said you are a West Point graduate and that's something that not many people can claim. Um, At what point did you decide that you did want to go to West Point, understanding that it kind of affected the trajectory of your life at that point?
1: Yeah, of course, as a, as a 17 or 18 year old, I, 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 didn't have that grand vision that i was going to do 24 years in the army and Mm -hmm. and and do all this uh other other opportunities um so i i grew up in delaware ohio which is in the middle of of the state of ohio uh and i loved to read growing up and the thing that i really loved to read was world war ii history and of course all the world war ii generals uh were west point grads from you know eisenhower to macarthur to bradley to patton Uh, and so when it came time to go to college and and there'd been no real military service tradition in my family, um, I applied to to West Point and I got in early and, uh, eventually made the decision to, to go, but didn't throughout my career in the army. And even now, um, my time in the army, you know, when you graduate from West Point, you owe a five-year commitment and, um. I, I always said to myself mentally, I was like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to stop serving in the army when this stops being fun. And every point in time when I started to think about, hey, maybe I should go try to do something else. Uh, I had these ideas that I might want to be a lawyer at some point in time. Uh, the army was always fun or there was like one more challenge that I wanted to try or tackle. And all of a sudden I got to 24 years and I'm like, OK, uh the army wanted me to move and and uh, i wasn't willing to move and and so at that point in time i said hey that's that's enough i'm going to transition uh and uh make the transition into 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 corporate america
0: wow um i'm really fascinated because uh first of all my dad is a big world war ii history buff he uh he got his degree in history specifically uh and uh, he just he kind of transitioned a lot of that to me. I'm, I'm not a, an expert, mind you, but I do I do appreciate it. Um, and I, I find that fascinating that just that simple reading and, and finding people that you could look up to and admire and, and say, wow, they did pretty amazing things in difficult circumstances. And they had this similarity that, that kind of spurred you to do something as hard as trying to get into West Point. Because if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of, it, it's pretty difficult to get into, right?
1: It's a challenge. There's a, there's a there's two things that you've got to do. First, you have to apply to the college and get accepted by the college, and then you have to do a parallel track of actually applying to your representative or senator uh, and getting a nomination from one of them to to be able to attend. And so it's two sort of bureaucratic hurdles. You know, where most colleges you only have to go over one, and it's selective. You know, they're looking for the the full person kind of thing and so i played you know i i did well in academics in high school and i played sports i played football and uh wrestled and played baseball and and so that was sort of what they were looking for and so it was was a pretty good fit but you know you make the great point that you know i chose to go in the path of others really out of just thinking about them and i ended up as a history major too because uh you know when it came time to decide uh what I was gonna major in, I had taken a couple of history classes and I really liked the professors. And, you know, they were these great guys that had that had been in the 82nd Airborne Division and jumped into Grenada wow. or jumped into Panama. And I'm like, oh, that's what, you know, that's what I wanna do in the army. And so once again, I'm following guys' footsteps uh, because they were history professors or I'd read about them in books uh, about their, their uh, actions in World War II. Wow.
0: Um, another thing you said, uh kind of along the lines of following in the footsteps of people that you really admire. You said there was no real history of of military service in your family. So I'm kind of curious because I'm not a parent, but I can imagine the reactions of two parents when when one of their children says, hey, I'm planning on going to West Point, which concludes with being in the military, serving in the military, and and possibly putting your life in, in danger. What was your parents' reaction when you declared that you wanted to go to West Point? Uh,
1: they kind of had seen it coming. Um, and they didn't, you know, you also have to realize that this was the 80s. Um, we really weren't in this 20 years of combat that we had been in since, since 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so combat was, at that point in time, was a short, a short thing. You know, we had like the invasion of Panama in 89, Desert Storm. Uh, they were short sort of things. Uh, my mom was a, didn't handle it my, my dad handled it a little bit better than my mom. Uh, both of them were super proud when I got into West Point and when I graduated West Point my mom had a little bit more challenges uh, when I was in the army. Uh, you know of course mothers worry about their their kids and and I'm off running around to Korea and Kosovo and Bosnia and Iraq and, uh, and Afghanistan and of course uh, that doesn't do a whole lot uh, for for your mother
0: Wow. Um, it is a testament though, because I'd imagine that they supported you a lot. No one I don't know if anyone can go through hard things like that alone. So I'm guessing that they were huge supports in your life, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I and to to take that a step further, you know, nobody can go through hard things alone. Everybody has a support system or network. Uh, you know the the ideas of this. Uh, you know, sort of lone. You know, we 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 like the the Wild West analogy of the lone gunslinger. You know, going into the town and cleaning it up. But uh, in reality, everybody sort of has a has some sort of support group, whether it's your family or friends or 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 even uh, you know just close associates. You know, you've we've all got our our support group, and that helps us helps us tackle these hard problems.
0: I don't know why um but that that really hits me a lot um I work at home and so and I, I just I told you before we started that I just got over being sick with COVID-19 so uh you know my whole world was at home for like three weeks and I'll tell you like uh being alone is tough I mean I had my wife here with I mean thank heavens for her but so that that really just hits me right there, you know.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm glad you've recovered because you just did a, t- a hard thing that I have not done. Uh I have not I have not survived uh COVID-19. I, right?
0: I'm I'm I doing my best to,
1: to not to not have to do that, tackle that hard thing.
0: Yeah, I, I don't recommend it. For some people, it uh it's not that bad, but for me it was it was pretty tough. Not like hospitalization tough, but just I don't know. So but um well, another another thing I, that
1: we share um as part of our support network is uh we both have dogs. Um and I got my my dog Samantha uh back in May of of 2020. Um you know we were shut down uh from covid. I wasn't traveling anymore
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was sort of like, you know, hey, if I don't get a dog now, I'm never going to get a dog. Right. And I, I love dogs and had had dogs at various points in time, but um you know just Having Samantha around as as at least for me uh during the pandemic has been a big thing. You know, we get out and walk a couple of times a day and and you know, there's she's part of the support network too. And I'm sure your two dogs uh are as well.
0: Yeah, that that's that's really huge. Um we actually got our dog, I think around the same time, maybe March of 2020. So uh kind of the same idea, same thing happening. No, maybe it was May, but what, what kind of dog do you have?
1: Uh, So she's a rescue. She was two years old. She's a combination uh, lab boxer, hound dog. Wow.
0: I bet she's super sweet because from what I've heard, rescues are generally just really sweet. And all those breeds just put together just seem like the ideal dog. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, She she had a tough, tough go at it before uh, she came here. So she's a little bit um, she's a little bit more scared than your average dog. Uh, but that does, on the flip side, that makes her very willing to please. And, you know, she sits, she comes, um, and, you know, I can say, go. she's super smart. I can say, go crate, and she'll go get in her crate. I can say, awesome. go car, mm-hmm. and she'll go get in the car. Um, so she's she's been a very good companion, as I'm sure yours has.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and that's a, a note for anyone out there who's thinking, well, I don't really have, like, a huge support network. You know, you can start with building up relationships with friends and things, and maybe if you're up for the responsibility, you you get a pet that is always there for you and you can talk to and, and you know kind of spend that time with. Because again, having that support network is essential. Um, Actually, and I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, the biggest similarity between all of the hard all of the people that I talk to who've done hard things is that either they have a mentor or they have Uh, sponsors, which is kind of the catch-all term I use for the support network, someone who just cares enough about you to push you to do the hard things or to support you when you try. Um, And and actually moving on a little bit, you not only went to West Point and you graduated from that, which I guess we didn't even have a a chance to dig into what what it takes to graduate from from a college that's also kind of a military school. Um, It is a military school, but you went on to Ranger School. So what prompted that choice?
1: Well, so for for the the Army, um, when you graduate from West Point, your your job and your unit is based on your class rank. And so the higher you are in the class, the more options you have, the lower you are in the class, the less options you have. And so one of my goals, uh, once again, uh, had a, the mentors, the the two guys that were my history professors that were that influenced me to go into the history department and, and major in history, also were infantry officers um, and had been to Ranger School. And so, once again, you know, finding a, a mentor and following in their footsteps. Um, when so, I commissioned as an infantry officer, and and when you graduate the basic course, um, the next step for you is to go to Ranger School. Ranger School um, is a 62 day long experience. Um, It teaches you 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 function on a limited amount of sleep and a limited amount of food. Uh, The average Ranger student uh, gets about three to four hours of sleep every night during the 62 days, and you only eat two meals a day. The average Ranger student over the course of the time there loses about 20 pounds um, just from all the physical activity. but it's an incredible learning experience because um, they rotate the leadership positions every day. So, one day you might be uh, carrying a machine gun, the next day you're leading the platoon. And so, it's an incredible experience to learn how an infantry platoon works. And then, you know, it's like the ultimate internship. Uh, you spend 62 days of the hardest uh, time in your life. Uh, you know, putting one foot in front of another, carrying a huge uh, backpack, losing weight and struggling through the mountains of North Georgia and the swamps of Florida. And then you finally earn this little tiny uh, black and gold tab that you get to wear on your uniform for the rest of your your career. But it's one of those things that sets you apart. So you had this kind of goal, hey, I got to suffer through this hard thing in order to earn this Ranger tab, which gives me some credibility and gives me some great experience and sets me up for success. As a as a brand new lieutenant, um, I I was fortunate enough that in 2014 I got the opportunity to go back and be and lead Ranger School. Uh, I told my daughter at the time I was so, kind of like the principal of Ranger School because you know I didn't really do any of the the instructing or the grading or anything else like that, but I did get to see all the bad kids, so I was sort of like the 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 principal. Um, but it was fun to see it from the other side and see what a an experience it was for Ranger students. It helped push their boundaries, so they got to see, um, and, and it helped you know certainly for me back in 1993, and 94, push my boundaries and I and I learned more about myself that hey when it's when you're wet and cold and tired, you can do more than what you think. You can keep putting that one foot in front of the other. And then once you graduate ranger school, you've got this reserve that you can draw on because you've said, hey, I've done this hard thing. And I can draw on that and go, oh, this isn't as hard as that experience. I can I can survive this or I can make the best of, of that. I, I don't know if any of your previous guests have talked about how a Hard experience has influenced them to be able to go on to do a different hard experience and maybe in a different environment or or something like that. But for me, that that was one of the big things that Ranger School helped. You know, it, it gives you a sense of an accomplishment. There's only 1,500 people a year that that earn the Ranger tab. Uh, there's only been about 80,000 uh, folks that have earned the Ranger tab since the the school opened. And so it's one of those things that kind of sets you apart and you go, hey, you know, I did accomplish something. And I learn more about myself and that I can, I can, I, my boundaries got pushed and I can go do, do even harder things.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like the whole premise of my show is really that um, when you choose to do certain hard things, you can prepare yourself for future hard things. Uh, and that's one reason why I love talking to people in the military is because um, maybe and I haven't been through the military myself, <clears throat> but from what I've understood, even basic training, you know, people, not not even just ranger school or, or SEALs or people who kind of rise to the higher echelon, but people who go through the beginning start to learn this principle and they see it in their daily life and that they've kind of come out the other end as a different person. When you started talking about <laughs> ranger school, you said you function on less than three hours of sleep. And in my mind, I was like... I mean, I don't know how to do that. So I have to ask like at the beginning or, or some part of it, how did you learn to, I guess, just make it through if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So the, most Ranger students either end up, uh, struggling to deal with the food or struggling to deal with the sleep. Um, I had less of a problem with the, with the, the limited amount of food. And there were, you know, we all would make our lists of, Hey, these are all the things that we're going to eat when we get out of this. And there, these are all the restaurants we're going to go to. Um, but I didn't have as big a problem of, of, with the food as, as some folks had, I did struggle with the sleep and, you know, inevitably, you know, you know, you would walk for a while and then you would have to set in a perimeter and everyone would have to lay down behind their weapons and, and in this mock, kind of combat kind of situation, mm-hmm. you know, pretend like you're and I had the hardest time staying awake. You know, inevitably, you know, I would fall asleep on my, you know, weapon, you know, because i was just bone tired. Yeah. But you learn different ways to to work around it. You know, at that point in time, the the meals, the the MREs or the meals ready to eat, which is the freeze-dried meals, had these uh instant coffees in them. And you could take the instant coffee and throw it in the back of your throat and take your canteen and wash it down with a bunch of water. And it would give you a jolt of caffeine uh, to help keep you awake. Or you learned, hey, rather than go all the way down in the prone, I will stay up on one knee, which will force me to stay awake. Because if I fall asleep, and you can, you can fall asleep on one knee, you can also fall asleep standing up. Uh, I've done both. Uh, But if you if if you're up on a knee and you fall asleep you're going to topple over uh and so you'll wake yourself back up and so y- you you can continue to to sort of function that way you learn these little tricks um you know it, it's it's not easy uh and and you know you just you just kind of figure out you know the the thing that works for you or 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 ways ways to get around it
0: now on the kind of flip side of that um, how, or, or what ways did you see yourself or others coping with the emotional and mental stress that were successful?
1: One of the more interesting things is you learn, um, there's a certain sort of a leadership style that comes to the for- forefront that works better when folks are super wet, cold, and tired, um, It's a much more direct leadership style and a much more sort of, hey, I need you to go. It's a much more direct and directive leadership style, because when people are cold and tired and hungry and wet, they aren't going to think through, okay, well, what's the purpose of us doing this? And, uh, you know, what are the three best ways that we can try to do this? um you have to be super directive. Now that doesn't work really well when folks aren't under all that stress. And so it's one of those things that you learn that hey, I need to add this to my my leadership toolkit that hey, I've got this sort of direct leadership style that works really well when folks are under a lot of stress um but I got to dial it back when we have folks that aren't under all that stress. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, so Um, If I understood you as a leader, when the people you're leading are under such strong emotional or mental stress, you have to tailor your style based on kind of what they can handle and what would work best for them, right?
1: Right, right. No, that's, that's definitely spot on. And, uh, you know, it it becomes much more direct and much more hands on, uh, kind of works well when when folks are sort of operating in that, that you know, super stressed, uh, kind of, kind of way. Um, when it dials back down, then you got to do that back on your question, you know, folks dealt with it a variety of ways, you know, some, you know, some folks, you know, at that point in time, it was pre cell phone. So everybody looked forward to the opportunity when you got to go back to the camp after two weeks out in the woods, uh, and, uh, you get your five minutes on the pay phone to call, you know, friends or family, uh, we were able to send out letters and so you know i had a a stack of of uh postcards that were all pre-addressed so i could send one of those out like my mom still tells the story about how she got this this one uh postcard that was all sort of like mangled and wet and 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 mud on it because you know it when you're out when you're outside for two weeks straight you know stuff gets wet and, and you know things don't things don't handle it but you know it, it was it it's an interesting sort of microcosm to to see folks sort of function in that that environment and see when it really gets down to sort of a more base kind of existence you know you're worried about you know where you're going to sleep where you're going to eat how far you got to walk that day and what the mission is and how can you help the team to get through it uh but uh it uh it was one of those those experiences that you know re- helped shape me into who i am today um uh-huh. it it was not the end-all be-all experience um but uh was it, one of those ones that 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 helped me
0: definitely <clears throat> our lives kind of function like building blocks we have experiences that act as larger building blocks on on which we put other large building blocks uh, like for example you said you then went on to 24 years of of leading men and women in in combat situations, and I'm guessing out out of combat situations as well, as well as leading Ranger School itself. um, In those situations, leading has to be difficult, especially when you may or may not be sending men or women to their death. Um, How do you kind of keep your head on straight in such high-risk situations?
1: So I guess uh, let's let's talk for a second. Um, I, I led a battalion, uh, an infantry battalion, in combat in uh, Southeast Afghanistan from 2010 to 2011. So I was responsible for about 700 folks. Um, we were engaged, uh, you know, in in combat with the Taliban uh, from the day we got the first person on the ground to the last person uh, left. Um, for me at least, you know, and I think it, it applies to all leaders in any kind of situation, you know, the, the most important thing is, you know, you, you have to take, you have to take care of yourself as a leader. And for me, that was making sure that I got enough sleep. Um, you know, I had a sort of a routine that I followed. Uh, I w- wanted to make sure that I I got, you know, three meals a day and I did, I had an opportunity to do some physical fitness. Um those, those kind of things. and in looking back on it, I will I will admit that I probably didn't do as good a job as getting the sleep as I could have. Um, and when I got when I didn't get enough sleep, I got a little bit tired and cranky and I probably was not the best uh, leader to be around. Um, it, you know, and if I had to go back and do it over again, I would have figured you know figured out a, a way to get a little bit more sleep um and that's one of the things that i talk to leaders about today is you know if you're living on you know there's this sort of uh you know idea that you know if you're in a startup you're going to work super long hours and you know you're going to you know kind of do it um to the point where you're probably wearing yourself out and not making as good of decisions as you possibly can and so um you know i talked to folks about hey I acknowledge that we're not going to get the great sleep, but you can do some things to improve your sleep, like turning the phone and the computer off 30 minutes before you go to bed, um, or, you know, making sure that you get a solid six hours, uh, at night and the room temperature is appropriate. And you've, you've gotten rid of all the lights in your, in, in your bedroom. Um, I, I'm a big fan of naps. Um, you know, if you can grab a 15-minute power nap, you know, if you're gonna live on five or six hours of sleep a night and a lot of coffee, um, you know, a 15-minute power nap can make the difference between a really productive afternoon and uh unproductive afternoon. Uh and so they're they're just you know, we talked about it in Ranger School, but there are little tricks that uh folks can take back uh with them as they're navigating these tough jobs and that are that are doing it. Uh, even in combat in the four, four the three times in in Iraq and and one time in Afghanistan uh we still found time we called it sleep in sunday um you know we would not have the morning meeting on sunday morning uh folks got a slower start and things didn't really get kicking until about noon um and that was okay you know it, we were we were there for 365 days, and and that's a long hard slog. And so you got to give the team some time to recover. And you know the guys that work, you know, right with me, would take the day, and they would do you know they made sure that they got in good physical fitness. They washed their clothes. They uh, did maintenance on the vehicles. They you know they did the things that they needed to to sort of catch up and and have sort of a chill day. And then we got back after it on on Monday, and we're right back out out in Afghanistan going to visit uh, local leaders or, or the the soldiers that were in, in, in my unit.
0: I love that, um, specifically the sleep aspect. And I guess kind of to sum up what you said, uh, my question was, how do you keep your head on straight when you're leading in difficult situations? And, and your answer was to regulate yourself, make sure you're taking care of yourself. And that makes perfect sense because how do you keep your head on straight in your daily life, you do that by regulating yourself and taking care of yourself. Um, actually, one of my previous guests, he said he gave this advice. He said, never pass up the opportunity to charge your phone, take a bathroom break or take a nap. And it's 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 very smart advice, in my opinion, because you'll never regret taking the time to do that. But you might regret not. And uh, on, uh, on Instagram, I follow <clears throat> a profile called Nerd Fitness. Okay. Uh, And he does kind of cheeky posts sometimes it's, it's very fun. I'm a big fiction and uh, I'm I'm a huge nerd. So it really aligns with what, what I like, but his, his post, you know, sometimes on Instagram, you see these posts of like micro hacks or whatnot. And he was like, I found this new micro hack to supercharge your workouts. It's called micro dosing sleep. Take 15 minutes, lay down, close your eyes. And then in 15 minutes, you'll be super charged and ready for your work. It was like super cheap. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like, yeah, we should think about it. And then I, uh, you, if you swiped right, he kind of did the same thing with like eight hours of sleep. And uh, it makes so much sense that if you just kind of do these simple things that keep us alive as human beings, you'll function much better when you're doing really hard things, even, you know, even easy things too.
1: Right, right. So, no, I'm going to have to follow that Instagram account. Uh, it, it sounds like something that I'd like.
0: Yeah. I really like it. Um he actually has a book too that it's called Level Up Your Life and uh it's kind of a it gamifies fitness a little bit which is which okay. is always fun. Yeah. Um but I wanted to ask as someone who has had the unique opportunity to not only go through Ranger School but then to lead Ranger School which did you find more challenging and which did you find more rewarding?
1: Um I'll have to say both leading uh, both leading Ranger school you know as the person in charge of a um, couple thousand instructors that would see almost twenty five thousand students a year between uh, airborne school Ranger school and a couple other uh, other schools that we supervised um, that was extremely challenging uh, one of the things that happened while I was leading Ranger School was uh, was the gender integration of, of Ranger School. Uh, Ranger School had been in existence since 1952, uh, up until that point in time, till 2015, that it had been all male graduates. Um, the Army, uh, as part of the decision on the, the gender integration of the military, uh, said, hey, one of our pilot programs is we're going to open up Ranger School to women and see how that goes uh, to help us Make a decision about Ranger School and the Army in general, and so in April of 2015, we brought in the first 19 uh, women to ever attend Ranger School. Um, eventually, three women—Kristen, uh, Chris Greist, uh, Shea Hafer, and Lisa Jaster—graduated uh, uh, in. Two of them graduated in August, and one graduated in October. Uh, but through that six months of experience, the sort of the eyes of the army, the eyes of a wider community, uh, were on us. Uh, and we had to navigate social media, regular media, uh, inquiries from Congress, uh, and, uh, just managing, uh, the, the, the normal students, um, uh, while they, they made their way through, uh, it turned out to be a huge successful story for the army, uh, uh, Chris Grayson and, and uh, Shea Haver have gone on to, to lead infantry companies uh, downrange. Uh, Shea Haver is now leading a company in the in the old guard. A company is about 130 uh, folks. For for your your listeners who who don't know what a what a military company uh, size is, and now we're closing in on 100 women have uh, graduated from Ranger School. Uh, I think I think the numbers at 91 uh, right now in the intervening six years of, of women having the opportunity to attend Ranger school so it's one of those success stories uh but it did not come easily uh, and it was um there was a lot of pressure uh, a lot of eyes uh, on doing it. now the now that I look back I'm like hey this was a really hard thing I'm super proud of how the the organization uh, handled it how we worked our way through it the 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 men and women that I had the opportunity to work with uh, that made it made it happen um, and so that was, as hard as ranger school was for myself personally going through, uh, it was much harder uh, leading it and trying to get a couple thousand folks all rowing in the same direction uh, and handling this uh, more scrutiny than ranger schools probably ever had uh, on it.
0: Wow. That's, that's so fascinating that, again, it's such a unique experience that you go through ranger school, which uh, I, I talked to another ranger. Uh, about a month ago, and he said that Ranger School is a leadership school first and foremost. And then you have the interesting opportunity to come back and be the leader of the leadership school. K- kind of very poetic there. Um, yeah. I, and I'm amazed. I, I didn't know that the number of initial women in the in the first batch was so small, comparative to all the other uh students. I, I didn't know it was 19. I would have guessed it was you know like in the hundreds or something. Um, and this is just kind of a curiosity but what was the attitude of most of the other students towards those 19 women when they started ranger school
1: <laughs> that one's a tough one because you got to go ask them uh okay, yeah. you know the, the average just to give you perspective the mm-hmm. the average ranger school class is about 300 students show okay. up on on day 1 I and see. so 19 um one of the things that we uh, established as part of it was that the women had to attend and successfully pass a pre-ranger course, which is a two week uh, course that sets them up, teaches a lot of the skills and stuff that they're going to need in the first couple of weeks of ranger school and sets them up for success. And so there was a hurdle about 300 women attended uh, three different pre-ranger courses out of that 300 group, that 300 cohort uh 19 ended up meeting the standard uh to be able to come and attend uh ranger school um you know that was you know th- that was a deliberate kind of thought because we wanted to make sure that the women that came and attended ranger school had were set up were at least set up and had passed a pre-ranger course right. um uh, by and large most men also attend a pre-ranger course not all there there isn't a requirement uh but uh the ones by and large, the ones that are successful have attended some type of pre ranger course that sets them up uh, and establishes and helps them establish some standards so that they can be successful at ranger school.
0: Right. Success rarely comes without preparation. <laughs>
1: right. Right.
0: Um, but I, I'd imagine that leading men and women for 24 years and leading, you know, thousands or, or a thousand instructors, as you said, um, in ranger school prepared you at least a little bit. <laughs> For or maybe helped in in being a father, oh, you see one of our dogs here. <laughs> um, what sort of lessons has being in the military and leading men and women in combat and in other situations? What lessons has it given you on being a father? Uh.
1: So uh, well, I'll, I'll tell so one thing that has been um i grew up with a brother uh so um and now having a daughter it's it's a little bit different but i encourage you know for you as a as a future dad um and um for other dads that are out there a couple uh a couple things the first thing which was uh advice from my father um which um, is not military related, but the best thing that you can do as a dad uh, is read to your kid every night and set that standard up early when they're at six months and just get into that because it gives a great bonding time for if you're a dad and, and um, you know, with you and your kid uh, to read to them and it sets them up for success for an early uh, head start on on school. Um, my parents read to me every night. Uh, by the time I hit kindergarten, I was one of the few people that was reading uh, when I got to kindergarten. And then the exact same thing happened with my daughter. We read to we read to her, and she was one of the only ones in her class that could read uh, when she showed up for kindergarten. And it just gives your kid a head head start on life, head start on kindergarten, and hopefully sets up them for a lifetime of of enjoying reading. You know, you said you're a nerd. I like reading science fiction. Um and you know I'm a reader and and that's that, that's where that came from. Uh, the second thing is with with you know with daughters you know don't be afraid, take the risk and, and go do things with your daughters that you would do with uh, if you had a son. And you know I I've t- since my daughter has been four years old uh, I've taken her out to the obstacle course on Fort Benning. Uh, she started out, she was so little, she could actually stick her fingers in between the boards to climb the walls. She's now tall enough to get herself over most walls. If the wall's too tall, I give her my knee and she has to jump up on my knee and then climb herself over the wall. But it just gives them confidence. Um, you know, it gives them an experience that they might not have. Um, and it's one of those things that, that, you know, when we live in Georgia, and so when the weather gets cooler, In the spring or the fall we go out and run the obstacle course and you know as she keeps getting older she can keep doing more stuff and she does the balance beam a lot better than i do and and (laughs) so it's it's a fun time um so don't be afraid uh to to do things with your daughter that you would do uh, uh, with a son and then the final thing is that the military taught me was it's okay to take risks and um you know uh Last year, so my daughter is, is into um, in the ballet. She's dancing the Nutcracker for the, the past f- five years or six years. And last year, they were going to do the Nutcracker, but they were going to film it. And three weeks before the production happened, the guy that was uh, showing up to be Herr Stahlbaum, who's the father in the first act of the Nutcracker, if you're not familiar with the Nutcracker, stopped showing up to practice. They couldn't get a hold of him. And so my daughter was in the first scene and she asked me if I would come down and be hair stall So I have actually uh, danced in the nutcracker. Uh, it was definitely out of my comfort zone. Uh, I was so far into my discomfort zone. Um, uh, <laughs> and I actually asked my, so I danced in the nutcracker, it was on film. And so uh, I, I'm super proud that I was able to do that, share that experience with my daughter, see, uh, why she likes ballet and all the stuff that went on behind the scenes to film uh the nutcracker but when i asked her this year if uh she wanted me to come down and try out for hair stallbaum she said uh no thanks dad uh we're gonna try to get somebody that can really dance this year I'm like okay that's fair <laughs> enough uh i can't really uh, i'm not a great dancer but um
0: there she is again
1: (laughs) yeah so those are those are a couple of things that i've taken away from both life in the in the military uh about raising raising a child uh that's helped out
0: awesome um well well, thank you so much david for being on the show uh we're going to start wrapping up just because i want to be respectful of your time um so first question is how can people reach out to you support you and see what you're up to
1: Yeah. So, um, I have a website, uh, the five consulting group.com, uh, please come check it out. Uh, I blog twice a week that are, and those are posted, uh, on, on the website. They're also cross posted on LinkedIn. If you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get the blog in your, in your email, uh, twice a week. Uh, also this summer I published a book, which is called grow your grit, uh, about how you develop the will to persevere to achieve your long-term goals. It's right in line with the, the, the folks that are listening uh, to, to to your podcast, because uh, I know there's folks out there that want to develop that grit, and, and grit is nothing more than having that perseverance to accomplish your goals. And uh, I offer some ideas because I had read uh, Angela Duckworth's book on grit, uh, a couple other folks' uh, books on grit, and I thought they did phenomenal jobs of telling what grit is, who has it, how to measure it. But I thought they all came up a little bit a bit short on how do you develop the process to grow your grit, and so I think it, you combine you know you got to have a purpose, uh, then you do some really really good goal setting, and then you have perseverance, resilience, courage, and motivation, and together those four things help you you work your way towards your long term goals. If folks are interested in finding the book, it's out on Amazon. Um, it's called Grow Your Grit. Um, and uh, it's we're up to 12 five-star reviews. Uh, I promise none of them are my mother. Uh, and so uh, please check it out and uh, see if it might help you uh, as you're looking forward, forward to crushing uh, 2022.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, and last but not least, uh, we need to give our audience some action items. So this is the list I came up with based on what we talked about. Uh, number one, bolster your support group in any way you can. Number 2 is learn the the simple tricks of surviving your current situation and last but not least number 3 is improve your sleep. Would you like to add to that list at all?
1: No, that's a great great list and, you know, uh, the the whole thing about uh, you know, bolstering your support group whether it's it's uh, you know, finding a friend or an ally or a mentor, you know, we talked a lot about the mentors that I've had uh, or, you know, to the, the, the thing that we both had in common, which is getting a dog here in, in the pandemic, uh, you know, Samantha's part of my, my support network and, uh, she's, she's always happy to see me when I get home. Uh, so, uh, I got that going for me.
0: Excellent. Uh, well, thank you so much, David, for being here on the show. Uh, thank you for sharing your stories. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And I know the audience has as well.
1: All right. Thank you for having me. This was great. You've got a great podcast going.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to another episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here, listening to me and my guests. Um, I have been kind of out of the loop for a little bit, as you heard during the show. I've been sick and I'm still kind of getting over some stuff, dealing with some personal things. Uh, but I, I just want to say thank you for all your support. Um And just be in there week to week. Um, You know, this is hard sometimes, the podcast. And uh, it really makes it worthwhile when there are people on the other end that care. Um, So thank you. But uh, before we close, one quick announcement about Operation Underground Railroad. They're a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking. And I would like to invite you guys to go learn more about them at OURrescue.org so you can understand how big the problem is and what you can do about it. All you got to do is just go get involved. Again, OURrescue.org, get involved. Well, that's it, guys. We'll be back for another episode next Monday. As always, keep doing hard things because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show. And you might have heard this already, even in today's episode. But uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, My guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up Uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is First Come, First Serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down, having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at the Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, So look forward to having dinner with you.